if journalism is the first draft of history, then political current events comedy is the first draft of how we understand, how we interpret, how we process history. And um, Stephen Colbert has been the high watermark for the last 15 years of this kind of approach. Um, but now I'm talking to the man who makes Stephen Colbert everything he is, Tom uh. Personnel. Tom, have I overstated either Stephen's position in the comic pantheon or your position in, in support of him? Well, I think you've overstated both. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 705, Crafting Colbert's Comedy. Comedy writer Tom Purcell has been working with Stephen Colbert a long time, first as the executive producer of The Colbert Report on Comedy Central, and now as the executive producer and head writer of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on CBS. It was so great to chat with Tom because I wanted to hear how he got to where he is, and since his boss is one of our indispensable comedic voices, we started our conversation with Tom clarifying just who else belongs on the Mount Rushmore of topical political comedy. I hopefully submit John Stewart and John Oliver as um, excellent, excellent uh, people. Conan, a bunch of other people are doing. Jimmy Kimmel are doing excellent work. So, um, and then Stephen, Stephen was doing fine before he met me. So, so I'll just, I'll just go on record as saying that. Well, let's start. Let's start there then, and and talk about your history. How did you and Stephen meet? How did you start writing comedy? Well, I started writing comedy before I ever did any performing. I um, here's a boring story for you. Um, uh, <laughs> Podcasts my, are built on boring stories, so my, go for um, it. My high school was famous for a lampoon newspaper called the Wind Up, and. Um, uh, a um, faculty advisor named Mr. Holt uh, had bo- had borrowed the ideas of the Michigan Lampoon, and every three weeks we put out an issue. But it wasn't like most high school newspapers; it had some high school newspaper stuff in it, sports and stuff like that. But we definitely tried to focus on comedy. And when I was a freshman, I read this thing, and there was this kid, Will Payovich. And so people go, "Who is your comedy idol?" If I'm being honest, it's this kid named Will Payovitz from St. Joseph, Michigan. And I read his stuff and I went, oh, man, he's hilarious. I want to do what he does. I want to be Will Payovitch. So by the time I was a senior, I was basically in Will Payovitch's position on that newspaper. And I had real interest in writing comedy. Now, it's not the sort of thing that really occurred to me at that time as a potential career, but it was super fun. And then I went and did some of that in college. Um, I was in a college juggling show. I wrote, my roommate happened to be a juggler and he taught me how to juggle and we wrote shows together. So like I've been writing comedy since I was 16 years old. That's very cool. And, and every time- Whatever happened to Will Payovich? I don't know. I do not know. I gotta Google I was, him. But you're a second, you are also a Second City alum. 
Yes, right. you, you and you got into you became a performer of comedy, and now you're back to being a writer of comedy. Is that is that how you saw your career going, or did you have any view of that? Um, no, I mean at various points I saw it in various different ways. I mean, obviously, like you don't get into performing without this idea of like I'm going to be famous, right? Nobody gets into performing when they're like 20, going, oh, I'm going to write for somebody else. No, it's I'm going to be famous and I'm going to have like endorsement deals and I'm going to be the next Steve Martin and all that. Um, so uh, at various times in my performing career, you know, or in my career, it's like everyone who knew me as very young was surprised that I would do any performing. And then when I was performing, the idea that I would just give it up and, you know, give up that sweet, sweet stage time, um, uh, it didn't occur to me, but the industry kept saying to me um, that um, I used to have a joke that I would say that um, I'd show up in an audition and I have the sort of persona that no one would want to associate with their product. And it was just <laughs> like, you know, um, show business told me in no uncertain terms, we really like it when you write for better looking people. <laughs> That's a great lesson for many of us to learn. Um, was that freeing in a way? I mean, at a certain point, the decision to just go for it as a writer um, and go to Hollywood and just focus solely on that um, was freeing. I mean, it's a hard road, whatever you do, because, and I mean, I tell people in classes, I personally, in my job, am trying everything possible to not read you. Like, what I want to do is not read you. And, and everybody else feels that way, too. So, you know going from Second City, like going from college to then finding myself at Second City, and then going from Second City to finding myself in show business, those are huge transitions in life, and they're not for the faint of heart. You know, right. I mean, that's just how, I mean, you know from yourself that, like, you're simultaneously trying to discover who you are as a person, as a performer, as a creator, and how the world might possibly pay you for any of that. And the two of them are skew lines that are, you know, they may be going to intersect, maybe they're not. Um, you know, and that's why it's so simplistic to tell young people, oh, you know, follow what you want to do. Yeah, sometimes the world doesn't want you to do what you want to do, and you have to adjust. Yeah, we find that so frequently. The world has zero interest in what I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, what was what what was that rough journey from Second City to Late Night? Was it an immediate gig, or was it something? Oh, meantime, no, there's a lot of bumps on the way. So I left Second City, um, and I was writing with a partner, uh, Tyrone Finch. I don't know if you know Tyrone. Uh, Ty currently, um, I'm going to get the name of this wrong. Station 19. He currently writes for Station 19, the fire, the sexy firehouse. Um, uh, nice. So. Um, we um, we went out to Hollywood together, and early on we got gigs together. We wrote a movie together, we um, which was never made, thankfully. Um, uh, uh, we worked on a show called Cosby, not the Good Cosby, the CBS Cosby, and um, uh, we worked. On and he's uh, Bill Cosby's not the Good Cosby anymore either. No comment. <laughs> I, I don't care for the man. That's all I'll say. I don't care for the man. Um, um, then we worked on Grounded for Life, and then uh, Ty decided he wanted to do some more, just different things, you know. 
And so we split up. I, I worked on a couple other sitcom stuff. I worked on Betsy Thomas's show. You know Betsy? Any chance anybody has to work with or for Betsy Thomas, I'll jump on it. She's a great person. Um, and then, you know, uh, I was, uh, was kind of hanging out unemployed for over a year in L.A. And um, I wrote a political pilot um, for a half hour, like scripted, not... Um, not at all late night. So I sort of stumbled into it this way. I wrote that very political pilot and, you know, I didn't sell it. Um, and, but I met with Comedy Central and one of the people at my agency is like, oh, Comedy Central has this other show. They're, you know, I'm wondering if you're interested in it. And it was in New York. I worked in New York in Cosby. I was like, I don't want to work in New York. It's not network. Well, I don't want to work not network. Um, it's for Stephen Colbert. I'm like, ugh. Like, I've known Stephen a long time, but we weren't at all friends. You know how it is in the improv community? Like, uh, you can be ships passing the night, or you can be, like, best friends. And from the outside, like, Colbert and I, I think we did two shows together, we figured out. When we were at Second City, barely knew each other. Like, we understudied the same people, um... Uh, a lot of times if I was in his group, it was because I was filling in for him. So like <laughs> I knew Danello way better than I know. I knew both Amy and Danello better than I knew Steven. And so it's one of those situations where I was like, oh, Colbert, because he's a good person. Right? Everyone knows that he's got that reputation. And so I'm like, oh, I could see that. So my plan was, eh, I'll sell him some bits. I'll just sell him some bits and that'll be fine. And, you know, one thing led to another. I got hired on um, the initial season of Colbert Report. And it turns out we buy pretty well comedically. So, you know, we're still working together after all these years. What's good, y'all? My name is Devon Glover, also known as the Sonnet Man. I'm a rapper, poet, teacher, actor, director, and playwright. And I'm happy to be listening to the Reduce Shakespeare podcast. Peace and love, y'all. Where can you RSC the RSC? Right now, the only place to see the remote Shakespeare company is online. We've created a brand new page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, where right this second you can watch us perform many of our epic abridgments from the comfort of your own shelter. Right now, you can see The Ring Reduced, where we transform Wagner's 17-hour ring cycle into a brief and palatable 23-minute musical film. Lost Reduced, where we cram the first five seasons of the landmark TV show Lost into 10 minutes. Our appearances on two Jeopardy! tournaments of champions, plus some brand new videos recorded and shot especially for right now by me and Matthew Croak. You can grab your own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It's perfect for homeschooling little kids of any age, and it's on sale worldwide. And you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. And this Saturday, June 20th, 2020, Reed and I will do a live Facebook Q&A with Jenny Mazels at 7 p.m. London time, 2 p.m. in New York. 1 p.m. in Chicago and 11 a.m. on the West Coast. And we'll talk about the creation of Pop-Up Shakespeare and take questions from all of you who are watching. That's this Saturday, June 20th, 2020, at 7 p.m. London time and at the same time in all the other time zones. And now back to my conversation with Tom Purcell, the head writer of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. We have been asked several times to reduce Shakespeare Company. Oh, can you reduce the Trump presidency or... Can you reduce this COVID 
the pandemic and lockdown and 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 no we can't because we mm. we, we write plays and yeah. we, we want them to live longer than than the night but also i can't imagine having your job which is to take the things that are happening right now and turn it into comedy how is that challenge for you it depends on the day you know how it is that like some days you're a genius and um, like the first thing that pops into your head is fantastic and it's creative and whatever. And then other days, it's just a grind and you're forcing yourself to, you know, use your bag of tricks, right? You use the bag of tricks you've learned from, you know, 40 years of writing comedy, you know? Um, yeah. And so like the inspiration, like some of what it has to happen is, I personally have to detach myself from my own emotional frustration or my own emotional fear, right? Because Stephen I says fear is the mind killer. That if I'm afraid of what the situation's there, you know, I'm just compounding the problems that my audience has. But if I can get above it and see it for what it is, which, you know, most of the time is just pure status comedy, um, uh, then I might be able to have a little joy with it, make a little play out of it, right? And I mean, that is the hardest thing I feel like for those of us who came from improv and you're getting older and then your livelihood depends on it. How do you keep playfulness in your work, right? Yeah. And some days work becomes work and then it sucks. And some days work is still play. And then you're bringing that sense of play and sense of joy to your audience. Right. And that's right. the same right. on a scripted show like ours. You know, in a weird way, our jobs are very similar because the suggestion we're getting from our audience is the things they're talking about in the world. And then we're going off and having fun with it. Stephen always likes to say that if we're laughing in the writer's room at 10 a.m., they're laughing at night at 1130 when he does it. But if we're not laughing and we're just working it, it gets really hard for it to be funny. And you want to have some sense of lightness, particularly in some very dark times. You know, we've been fortunate enough to meet some people who, you know, have been going through really bad things. And they say, well, you know what? Your show brightened my day. I'm not saying you made my day or whatever, but for half an hour a day, I was laughing as opposed to crying. And, you know, this is a tough time for so many people. You know, my family, we've lost people from COVID and there's a lot of people out of work. There's a lot of people struggling and there's not that much a comedian can do for you. But if you give somebody a couple of laughs and make some of the fear dissipate, you know, I feel like that's the majority of, of what the role of, of a late night show is. It's like you, you laugh at authority figures and you make some of the fear more relatable. I think that's such a great way to think about it. And I mean, it is, I mean, I, I, I'm so sorry for your loss, but I, I, I know I feel that too. I feel like we're entertainers. So I feel like I want to be of service and yeah. if we can make people laugh, that's fantastic. And, and what you're talking about, you need both the, the immediacy and being present in the moment as a good actor or as a good improviser. And yet you need perspective to see the bigger picture of, of a writer. And those are sometimes, that's a hard line to walk. But we also have a group, you know what I mean? It's right. like, 
All of us have some days where we're not funny. Hopefully, it's not all of us on the same day. You know, I'm very grateful for the, um, the writers who work on the show. There's quite a few of us, and it gives us, um, you know, a lot of perspectives. So if I don't see it, somebody else in the room will. You know what I mean? And right. so, you know, um, uh, we've got a really good writing staff. And it makes, for somebody like me, it makes my job way easier. And this might be too in the weeds, <laughs> too into the weeds of process, but, but how is it shaping either your material or others' material into Stephen's voice? That also seems to be part of the job, yeah? Well, that's definitely part of the job. I mean, he does the final pass on it himself. It's a, it's a series of you have the joke in your head and then you write it as best as you can, which a lot of time will be in your voice. And then we'll all read it together. And then that process informs you a lot as soon as you hear it. I mean, anybody who's ever written and performed their own material knows that the, the performer in them hates the writer in them. They're so wordy, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like some of that's just the natural process where wordiness falls out. And um, some of it is, you know, he's not looking for 25 cent words that as best as we can, we have to make it the vernacular. Yeah. And then he'll do the final pass to get it into um, a verbiage that, that, that he likes. He always talks about getting the right mouthfeel. And so there'll be a turn of phrase that I'll make that he won't be comfortable with. And he'll, he'll get what I'm saying and change it to whatever he wants. You know what I mean? And I love that he talks about it in terms of wine and mouthfeel. <laughs> there, yeah, exactly. There are notes of pedantry with which I'm not comfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this could be my final question. Is it, uh, are you looking forward to getting back into an office to do your comedy with other people? Oh, that's an awful question. Here's a, here's a, here's a dark thought, okay? I mean, I definitely miss the audience in the Ed Sullivan Theater. And I definitely miss the day-to-day -day contact but as a writer, there's something really great about staying home, being in your own space and writing there. And then the fantasy of like, oh, man, I could live anywhere. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, as somebody who's um, been a vagabond and moved around for jobs, like I'll go to whatever city the job's at. It's, it's tempting. So I miss my friends and I miss um, the... Uh, the grease of unexpected interaction, which gives you good things in the show. You know what I mean? The hallway conversation, the, uh, you're at the coffee maker and an idea hits you. So I miss all of that, but liking not commuting and the fantasy of like, oh, wow, I could live back in Chicago. I could live, you know, wherever. Now, I haven't moved. I'm still where I was, but there's a part of me that's kind of buying into the fantasy of it. You know, I'm more anxious once the audience is back. Like that, I'm anxious for. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Comedy podcast. Send us your topical political comedy via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. And though you can't follow Tom Purcell on Twitter, you can follow Stephen Colbert on Twitter at Stephen at Home and follow his show's account at Colbert Late Show. 
Thanks, as always, to punch-up guy Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band, and this week by John Batiste, who composed the theme music for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and performed it here with his band Stay Human. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Elizabeth Sedway. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Devon Glover, a.k.a. The Sonnet Man. Check out his sonnets set to hip-hop beats on his Twitter accounts on Twitter and Insta at The Sonnet man nyc and finally thanks very much to you for listening please stay safe and stay home i'm austin titchener 705 2015ths of the reduced shakespeare company i wish i had a more tolkien-esque send-off so I'll, but i'll just say um, uh, may god give you the best of both of those things that you want uh, when this is all over why thank you very much this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.